Welcome to episode 177 of the CU Insight Experience. I'm Randy Smith, one of the co-founders of CUinsight.com, and this show is all about taking a deep dive with the credit union leaders who make this movement so great. This episode is brought to you by Humanity. Humanity helps credit unions build inclusive cultures that attract, develop, and retain talent. Today, I'm having a conversation with my favorite guest. Honestly, she's my favorite human, so it's really not fair for all my other guests, but there's just no competition. Jill Nowacki. Jill is the founder, president, and CEO of Humanity. So let's jump right in. Welcome back to the show, my love. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. Uh, you know, you're my favorite. Um, <laughs> <laughs> let's just, for everybody out there, they, they, like if they want a little more background on you, we'll link to the other episodes that you've been on. So I didn't want to ask you the same question. But for, for those who don't know, it's called the history of humanity. What was the reason for you founding that a few years ago? And, and really, what motivated you to, to stand up a new company over pursuing, quite honestly, other opportunities that I know you had um, <laughs> that were out there for you, but you were like, mm -mm, credit unions need this. Yeah, I guess it just comes down to that I couldn't not do it. <laughs> and so I was at a point where I'd worked in the credit union industry for just about 20 years, 18, 20 years at the time, and deeply passionate about credit unions. And I've said it on your show before, I've said it dozens of times that I've spoken, but I believe credit unions can eradicate global poverty when they operate right and in accordance with their mission. And some credit unions do, and, and some credit unions don't. And I think it always comes down to the people side. And so if there's one thing I'm more passionate about than credit unions, it's probably the people in credit unions. <laughs> and so to have this opportunity, or I guess to create this opportunity where my life is about working with the people in credit unions to help them fulfill their, their maximum potential, it felt like it had to be done. What makes you like the folks in credit unions so much? <laughs> <laughs> They're wonderful. And I think, you know, and, and in this role especially, I get the opportunity to talk to so many, both people, you know, looking to take their first steps into credit unions, people looking to grow their careers in credit unions, people looking to hire their successors or hire their next leaders at their credit unions. And there's something about the you know the the credit union people and they're not always necessarily people who only have experience in credit unions i've had some people come from outside the industry who 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 we talk to them and just say yeah this is you're finding your home by coming into this area and it's something that you know there's a in the same way I say, I felt like I couldn't not do it to stand up humanity. There is sometimes when you have those conversations with people and you can just say, oh, you can't, you can't not run, like run a credit union, work at a credit union. You can't not care about the well-being of others. And, and specifically, I think what's different about credit union people than like, I don't know, nurses or doc or something else that's that is that I think we all have this ability to we don't identify. Like blood. <laughs> yeah. oh, with your examples, <laughs> we, I don't know. <laughs> we're, we don't like gross things. And, <laughs> no, um, but we seem to have identified that there's this path, there is this link between financial well-being and overall well-being. What, you know, there's all that, oh, money can't buy happiness and stuff. But like, I think we in this industry know that, that, you know, financial stability is, is key to, to well-being. It can sure reduce the stress level. Yeah. That's for sure. Right. <laughs> right. Like, so. um, let, let's talk credit unions. Biggest challenges that you see facing credit unions today. And, you know, I mean, quite honestly, how is, how is humanity helping to tackle those? 
the biggest challenge facing credit unions today, and perhaps this hasn't changed since 1935, is establishing continued relevance. And the, the threats against that have changed. You know, today we face you know, fintechs and non-traditional financial services providers and all these other things that are kind of creeping into the space that that people weren't, you know, dealing with back in the founding of credit unions. But the fight for established relevance, that ability to look at our, I guess the challenge and the opportunity, I'm going to put them together with this, is (laughs) that we have a very special mission. We have a very special charter. We are not meant to be a fintech. We are not meant to be a for-profit bank or an investment bank. And we can embrace that and leverage that for continued relevance. And I think uh, the opportunity is there, but I think it can be really hard to double down on that. And I'm going to steal a story from you, actually, that uh, it's kind of... I I probably don't remember. You you will remember this one because you were just telling me this like today. But it's really easy to choose to follow the mainstream or the thing that's gaining traction right now, it's a lot harder to stand on a unique differentiator and say, I'm going to go all in with this. And what it's making me think about is you were telling me, you know, I'm a I'm a foodie, I like restaurants, and, and we've had the opportunity to dine at the restaurant 11 Madison Park yep. when it was, you know, number one in the world. And when it's number one, it shut down and then reopened as a vegan restaurant. Yeah. And yeah. like... And still kept its three Michelin stars. Right. So. That's an interesting <laughs> choice, right? But there's that that knowledge, that founder, that that person making that decision was able to say, this, this is a differentiator I believe in. I believe in the health benefits of veganism. I believe in this. And I see that it's, it's not going to be like a... Mainstream choice. And and I'm not saying, you know, we're these Michelin starred restaurants going out to do that, but for a credit union to be able to say, no, we are a financial cooperative that's there for the financial well being of our members. And we're going to double down on that in the face of it maybe not being the trendiest or the most popular or the fastest momentum right now. I think that's our challenge and our opportunity. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. If anybody's looking for an interesting documentary, it's on Netflix now called You Are What You Eat. We had a red-eye flight home. I couldn't fall asleep. Ended up watching all of them overnight. So Joe got to hear about, all about it this morning. <laughs> a two-fold question here for you. Just take the first part of this, and, and then I'll follow up afterwards. But what has you most excited inside humanity? Something that you're working on for credit unions, you and your team are you know, putting out there into the world. Mm-hmm. I'm going to find a way to make this a two-part answer oh, right good. now. <laughs> There's so much I'm excited about, but that's um, not surprising. You know, we are we are growing our team in a really intentional manner, and so just a couple of weeks ago, we brought on two new certified diversity recruiters to really help us with the people side of the operation. And what that also allows me to do is to spend more time on uh, on some of what I'm most passionate about, the strategy and the building. And so one of the outcomes of that is that we're able to open registration for a brand new program that we're working on in partnership with George Hoffheimer, previous guest the on previous the show. Previous guest on the show. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> and, and who else are you working on that with? 
Trace. Oh, Tracy Kenyon, yeah, she, but uh, also, we at Humanity. Uh, yeah, 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 sorry, so, sorry, and, we're name I mean, dropping she's, now. She, she's at Humanity, but she was also a previous <laughs> guest on the show, so we, you know, we can link back to her now too. Of so, course, yeah. yeah. So, um, so, so we're building out this this program that really we've spent some time thinking and talking about, like what do the best CEOs know and do differently here in our credit union space, and where are some gaps in in how they're they're developing those traits and moving that forward so that we can bring together a small group, a curated cohort of individuals who are aspiring to be the best possible CEOs out there and and work with them over the course of, of two years. So we've just opened registration for, for that program and are really getting some good traction on that. And I'm super excited about some of the the differentiators we're adding to that and how that's going to roll out and some of the partners who want to be part of helping us build that too. That's pretty cool. I, we'll have to you'll have to send us over a link or information that we can put in the show notes for that because I am sure that's going to be popular. Kind of as a follow-up to that, what has you excited as you look out at our credit union movement nationally? Well, Randy, the people. <laughs> the people. <laughs> Back to the people. So, you know, I'm hopeful. I think... And I know from our personal conversations, this isn't your favorite thing to hear people say, but you know, we've had a tough few years and I just have to believe we're at a precipice right now that like we're done with that. And we're like, people are ready to move forward, to turn the page, to, to be enthusiastic. And, and frankly, this is as maybe blunt or as potentially harsh as this <laughs> sounds, those people who aren't feeling the optimism who aren't feeling like things are going to turn around, they're retiring. They're, yeah. they're moving. They're, they're done. They've, I've heard many folks say, you know what? This just isn't fun anymore. I just don't want to do it. And I, I can respect that. 40 years, 50 years. It's a long time to work in the same industry. And you've seen a lot during that. But what I have the opportunity to see every day is these people who are saying, this is still a great industry. This is still a great opportunity. And I want to make my impact and I want to do something about it. And so I think we're going to see this rejuvenated energy, some of it coming from new people moving into roles, but some of it just coming from, you know, I mean, you and I have been in the industry for decades too. Like some of it from being people like us who've been around a long time, just being like, yeah, we're we're over the negativity. <laughs> and it's and this is like, you know, this the sky didn't fall as much as we've heard in the last several years that this is gonna be the end. This is gonna be the end. It hasn't. We're still here. Many of our credit unions are still strong and thriving. Many of our like we we're a good industry. We're a relevant industry. Our membership is still growing. And I think that energy is gonna come back and you know, from the people. And so uh, so that has me, I'm excited about that. I'm excited to that I still have, you know, a couple decades left to be part of, uh, <laughs> to be his face right now, y'all, to be part of, of seeing what the next iteration looks like. And I think, I think we're on the verge of that next iteration. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree with you more. And, and I'll stand on my soapbox a bit here too, because I, I just know, personally, like at CU Insight, I've never been more excited about the stuff that we have coming and what we're working on and, you know, like what Lauren and her team are doing. And I, I get to just be a nice little advisor on the wall that does a podcast, but it, it's so exciting. And I conversations that I've had with others and things like that, where you said if like that idea of 
man, if you don't like what you're doing, find something you do. If it doesn't light you up, if it doesn't make you feel alive, there's got to be something out there that does, right? And I know there's a, a heck of a lot of people out in credit unions that are very enthusiastic and excited. You know, I, I, you know, I think back to the last episode with our friend Chuck was on, obviously, and like how excited he was for the future of this PSCU co-op merger and what they can do to help credit unions. I, there's just so much excitement out there right now. So that's it. I, I love that you just acknowledge that merger. And of course, there's also the, the, the CUNA NAFQ America's credit unions merger. It's an interesting thing because I think there are a lot of people that are looking at this consolidation and saying, look, these are, these are signs of the end of times here. But because we're consolidating the industry shrinking all of, but then you talk to someone like Chuck or you hear someone like Jim Nussel speak about it and even Dan Berger, when he talked about yeah. the need for it, right? Or, like, or Brian Schultz. I was you know going to say, I mean? like, if we're just name-dropping podcasts, or, or, or Brian Schultz. Yeah, they, they've all been on the podcast. So, <laughs> um, yeah. But, but yeah, and somebody who doesn't, you know, personally benefit from the merger, right? In in Brian Schools, he's he's a member, you know, volunteer board member that is saying, you know, I think this is the right thing for the industry. This is going to position the industry with a stronger voice, with better you know, better leverage. And I think that's true of the the PSCU co-op merger and of the, the America's credit unions that that there are opportunities that come with that, that if we want things to always look the same, we can stand there and say, guess there's more reasons to be pessimistic. <laughs> but if we really believe in who we are and what we can do, there's also an opportunity to look at that and say, this is a chance to to streamline, to get gritty, to get out there and to make better happen. I am going to be just said something that, you know, this is not going to surprise probably anybody. But if you're sitting there saying, I wish things could go back to the way they were, it's probably time to move on. <laughs> so <laughs> that might not be nice, but, you know, I mean, like we're, everything's moving forward. So <laughs> um, <laughs> people are just like, oh, these two just having a conversation <laughs> over old fashions at that. So uh, at our dining room table, the job market, like for, for the past you know a couple of years, I, I feel like I know more about this than. Uh, uh, than I should, but that's because it's part of our conversations. It was really the job seeker. It was a job seekers market. They had a lot of choices. It feels like, at least in conversations I've had with you over the past few months, that that's kind of shifted. Like there's not as many opportunities. What I could be completely wrong in this. I don't work in that space, but in, in the credit union space, what does the current job market look like? Yeah, it's interesting because I can absolutely see why you would say that. And it's it's half true in that it doesn't really feel to me as much like it is a job seekers market anymore. We have jobs posted and we're getting many, many applicants for these jobs right now. But it's not a situation of, you know, they're only being three or four jobs and everybody's trying to. There's still a lot of jobs. There's more jobs now that I'm seeing out there. And I think we've seen, um, you know, not just in the credit union industry, but in the US, there is job growth. So it's not a situation of, uh, you know, a group of people fighting for a scarcer number of jobs. But it feels like maybe job seekers have gotten back to a place where they're willing to make some moves. And to me, that's a real sign of optimism. When people are afraid that things are going to go bad, 
they don't want to make major life changes. When people are like, yeah, things are probably going to work out okay, they're willing to start looking at new opportunities. They're willing to start considering making moves, trying out something new. And I think that's the confidence we're seeing is that more, it feels to me like more people are saying, you know, I might be interested in making a change. And the beautiful thing about the situation right now is it also feels to me like the jobs are there for people to make the changes too. And I mean, obviously, if there's 100 applicants for one job, still only one person getting it. So I got to say no to 99 people. And that's terrible. <laughs> nah, but <laughs> um, that sounds horrible. But there's going to be something else for those 99 because it's not that scarce of a job market in that way. As someone who lives in the same house, the, the kindness and the time that you take with the people that you say no often is uh, is remarkable to, to help folks along their way. I just, that's something I'm like, that's nice. I don't have that. <laughs> I'm a different person. Um, can't we text? No. So anyways, uh, this was a question, though, that I, I was thinking of. Like, you talk about that optimism that people have out there. and. I, I asked the question on the podcast and I've asked it to you before about like that greatest investment that you've made in your career, the old Warren Buffett, Dale Carnegie analogy. And knowing that I've asked you that before, I kind of wanted to flip that around since you work with so many folks that are looking for new opportunities. If somebody is sitting out there today and they're like, I want to make an investment in my career so that I can push it forward. Maybe I can get that C-suite position or that CEO position. What's a good investment for people to make today or, or a few of them? I mean, it's probably executive coaching with Tracy at Humanity, uh, right? I, no. would, I would think that was probably it. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, if I, you could have Tracy, can you show you the way? I mean, come on. No, no I mean, clearly I, I believe in the value of one-on-one hyper-customized executive coaching. That's why we've expanded that business line so much. It's not the only way, but I think it's an important way. And particularly the approach that we take, and maybe all executive coaches do this, but we spend a lot of time on self-awareness. And there are other ways to get self-awareness. If you're, you know, depending on where you are in life, maybe meditation, maybe maybe actual therapy and journaling. coaching. But if Stoicism, a, there's so many. The, <laughs> the number of people who will say, gosh, I'm looking for my next step and I just can't figure out why I can't get it. And I can say, gee, there are three to five people standing close to you who know exactly what it is. Who, who see the, the toilet paper on your shoe that right. you're trailing behind you, but for some reason, they aren't telling you or you aren't hearing it. And I think when people make an investment in executive coaching, they're going in, you know, eyes wide open saying, give me, give me the feedback I need. And, and then what we can find is, well, gosh, maybe your verbal presentation isn't showing you in the light you want to. Maybe you struggle a little bit with managing or coaching employees and you could turn that over. You know, there may be things and and that executive coach may not be the one who gives you public speaking training if you're ineffective at public speaking, but they might help you uncover that that's an area to invest in more. And then, and then someone can make that investment. I think the other thing I can't underemphasize is the investment in building your network, whatever that takes, right? And there's lots of ways to do that for me early in my career. You know, I believe 
being part of the CUNA councils and particularly being on the executive committee of a CUNA council was critically important in building my network that led me to future jobs. Um, you know, that's probably, I'm sure America's credit unions will still have councils, So that's a great opportunity. You know, obviously I'm a huge believer in the league system and I think the like getting involved at your local league. And that's not always an investment of money. It's an investment of time, Absolutely. but making the time to build the network. So those two areas that investing in getting self-awareness whether that's through an executive coach or something else, and then investing in creating your network, you're not just going to have doors open for future opportunities when you build that network, but you're also going to learn from those people in your network too. I think this sounds like a broken record, but when you were saying that, it's like, and I'm showing my age now just because of the, the players I'm mentioning, right? But like, Michael Jordan could beat Phil Jackson in basketball, but he still needed a coach. Tiger Woods needed Butch Harmon. He still needed a coach, even though he could beat him in golf, right? Like that that outside look. And yeah, you know, I'm a huge fan. I like I, I know CU Insight wouldn't be where it was today if it wasn't for networking in the people I met at the very first GAC I went to. That's beautiful advice. I couldn't agree more on that. A question about leadership teams. You work with a lot of Obviously, CEOs and leadership teams, you also work with a lot of boards who are maybe placing the next CEO to lead that leadership team. Are there certain characteristics that we should be looking for in leaders? You know, kind of like when we're looking at adding to our team, what should play into that decision-making process? Emotional intelligence. Oh. And that's true of any position you're adding. We obviously do... DEI consulting and you know it's it's in the name and we taught and part of the you know I mentioned we have two new certified diversity recruiters on our team right now so four of our recruiters our our recruiting team plus our staff that backs up our recruiting team they are all certified diversity recruiters and as so often happens and I think there's a little there's not a little bit there's <laughs> there's a rise in pushback on yeah. diversity equity and inclusion these days but a common statement when we say, you know, we're going to build you out a diverse candidate pool as part of our search process, sometimes people will say, oh, I, I don't care about all that. I just want to make sure I get the best candidate. And part of what we need to be looking for in that is, okay, but how is this person going to complement and integrate with the team as well? So you might have a brilliant technology person or a absolute genius in investing in finance. But if they can't, if you don't get the connective tissue between them and the rest of the organization, it it doesn't matter. You can't have, it, it's not going to carry the organization forward strategically. And so having a leader with enough emotional intelligence to be able to understand how to work across the organization, how to take what they know and help bring others into it and help make it work to have the ability to communicate with people who are different from them, who are, you know, to extend empathy to someone who's different to understand that. But then also with part of that, having the emotional intelligence to be able to say, I need to bring in people who think a little different than me, who have a little different background than me, because only then do we really succeed in serving the 
vast diversity of key stakeholders we have, because only then can we understand really where other people are coming from. So diversity doesn't do much if you don't have the emotional intelligence and the empathy there to be able to connect with other people too. And so I think that's the number one trait is looking for leaders who are bringing in emotional intelligence so that as you work to leverage the unique backgrounds, um, the diverse perspectives of it, that connection can actually happen in a meaningful way. Total rabbit hole question, but how do you figure that out in an interview? <laughs> Behavioral-based interviewing. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, um, and there are like, and, that, and we that use, sounds perfect, but... Yeah, we use an assessment as well. So we do, I mean, there are questions you can ask that are really specific that have to do with, you know, how did you manage a situation when something went wrong? How did you manage a situation when you, you knew the right thing and somebody else disagreed with you? Um, kind of getting to the heart of some of those elements. Tell me about a time when you tried to move something forward and it failed. How did you respond to that? And then we also use a tool, I know you're familiar with it, called the Harrison Assessment. And the Harrison Assessment actually has an entire module on competencies tied to emotional intelligence, um, where we can we can measure and evaluate and then go back and say, hey, you know, emotional intelligence is comprised of these 10 different competencies. And here's where you shine. And here's where you actually maybe need a little bit of development opportunity with that. I think that assessment's been so good for CU Insight. I mean, just knowing how we all interact together, it's been a beautiful thing. Another rabbit hole. <laughs> so this idea, like what you just said about like using an assessment, asking the right questions, doing all of that. What do you do if like you notice maybe it's a new CEO who was placed? Maybe it's a as you're working with an existing CEO who's like, this works, but there's somebody on that tight knit team that just doesn't fit it. They're the one that's always pushing back. That's like they they don't have that emotional intelligence. But you, whether whether you hired them or you inherited them, hmm. how do you deal with that? I am a firm believer that the first thing we do is try to bring others along. So you know the world has changed around people, and, and we need to give them the tools to help them keep up. And so the first step is, you know, maybe that is an opportunity to invest in some coaching. I had to pause there for a second. And I'm like, can I, can so I say I, this? Can so I say this I with authority? The question, I think so, I can yeah. say this with authority. <laughs> like, I've never met someone who's like waking up in the morning and being like, what I'd like to do is ruin some relationships and ruin some people's day today. Yeah. And so like nobody sets out to, to be misunderstood, right? Nobody nobody sets out to I I believe your your face is telling me you've met some people who I haven't met maybe in this situation, but I, Oh no 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 my face was making the face that but we've all dealt with people that we think that yeah, our and, perception and of them is frankly right? is like that might be our own perception. We've all been the people who people think that of yeah, too, that's probably true. right? Yep, and that's yep. the I talk often about we judge ourselves by our intentions, but others by their actions. Yeah. And if you don't know what I mean by that, think about the last time you were driving and somebody cut you off in traffic. And it's like, well, that person's a horrible human being with no moral code. <laughs> but if you're the one who cuts someone else off in traffic, you have something really important to get to. You didn't mean to do it. You it was a mistake. Say, hey, yeah. here's my friendly wave. Sorry. Right. And it's like, because you know that you didn't, you didn't set out to ruin that person's day, but 
their day might have been ruined because of what you did. So back to this idea of like, we've got somebody, you know, the whole team's moving in this direction and this person's like the stick in the mud sitting there kind of holding everybody back. Step one is, is you know, pull them aside and have that heart to heart. Do they know the impact they're having? Do they, do they see that they're kind of rowing left while everyone else is rowing right? Like, it, do, they, do they notice that? And then it goes back to that idea of like, no, if they know, if they're like, yeah, I see where you're all going, but I just disagree. Well, then we have to talk about separation because you can't have somebody who's like, I'm just going to wait this out and hope that you all change your mind if we're actually trying to get organizational shift. But if they're saying, yeah, you know what? I don't, I don't want it. Like, I want to be on the team. I want to be with us. Then we invest in a few more resources for them, whether it is that executive coaching or it is some training. People come and develop emotional intelligence. It's not... You're not born with it or not. You can you can create those. You can build empathy. You can build understanding. You can build a, a collaborative muscle on that. So first step is definitely, in my opinion, again, like giving people a chance to catch up. That's good stuff. So the next question, and I was sitting here thinking about this because this this to me feels like when I watch one of my documentaries or whatever, where it's like the comedian goes and works out at the comedy store before they do Madison Square Gardens. I'm like, I'm going to try this one out on you because there's something I've been thinking a lot about recently. And it's this idea of influence. Like most of the folks that come on the podcast have influence. Most of the people that listen to this podcast have influence, whether it's inside their credit union or in their members' lives. I guess, what does influence and empowerment mean to you? Now I'm mixing a separate word. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But that's that's where I'm trying to work out this question. Thank you all for listening. Um, (laughs) But like, what does that mean to where you know you have influence to empower others? What does that mean to you? And, you know, I, I guess both internally and like externally as you're looking out in the world. If you have influence, it's your responsibility to be cognizant about the actions that you model. So, and and I say that, you know, I, so I just made that comment about we judge ourselves by our intentions, we judge others by our actions. Like, you hear all the time. So celebrities have influence, right? Professional athletes have influence. And then they do something that people are like, but my kids looked up to you. And they're saying, yeah, I didn't ask to be a role model. They have influence, though. And it would be a wonderful thing if all of us who have influence are modeling actions that you know are are closer to our intentions that demonstrate that like if we want to be good people strong leaders emotionally intelligent that we we are careful and that is a situation where so you're saying people with influence i'm going to interchange that with the word leaders leaders are held to a higher standard and I love a good Venn diagram. And I, <laughs> when I was the first time CEO, I drew this Venn diagram that was kind of like this concept of like 
what a person was capable of being, like what a CEO needed to be, and like what the expectation of a good CEO was. Now, more more my internal pressure on myself than what anybody else asked of me. But it was kind of this place where there were parts of this Venn diagram that just could not overlap. There are things that we look at somebody who's in that position of leadership or influence, and we expect a we maybe maybe the people in the position maybe not others but sort of expect this like superhuman demonstration like don't have a bad day don't get frustrated don't you know don't lose your cool don't whatever because there's always someone watching and and that to me is what that influence is and we all have choices about how we wield the influence we have and it's not always easy to act with intentionality with that, but th- there's a weight that comes with it. And gosh, this is the most name-dropping podcast ever. But a couple of years ago, I was on a panel with Maurice Smith, uh-huh. and Maurice, Maurice was talking about the weight that comes with leadership. And he made this statement that has been such a touchstone for me, that is, I like feeling that weight. So it's this idea uh-huh. that... Like Maurice could look at that and say, I recognize the influence I carry. I recognize the the burden. You, you talk about it like, you know, you're putting mac and cheese on kids' tables, Absolutely. right? When you're a yep. business owner and you're responsible for their jobs. There's there's a there's that, a burden that changed you carry. The first time we hired our first employee at CU Inside, I realized my purpose, influence, whatever you want to call it, changed. Yeah. Right? And I guess my I'm gonna bring this ramble to a close by just saying, like, tying back to that quote from Maurice, like I think as a leader, if you ever stop liking feeling that weight, you should probably leave the role because you have to like, and I'm not saying you're going to get it perfect every time, but I think, I think if you're holding that influence, you should, you should feel like you should respect that you have that weight. You should respect like what it means to others that others are looking for you. And if, if you stop, if you stop liking feeling that weight, then it's, probably time to set that burden down or hand it off to someone else. Okay. Again, just digging in here on this. What does empowerment mean then to you? Both internally, like with your team at Humanity, but also with our movement as a whole. We're, we're really connected, all of us here. Empowerment's not my favorite leadership word. And so I was oh, kind of I, hoping I that this. I could just like gloss ah. over that and not talk about it. Um, I, I told but, you these were rabbit hole questions yeah. that she had no idea yeah. about. So. <laughs> and the reason why I'm not crazy about empowerment is because I think that sometimes, and they shouldn't be, but I think sometimes there's this idea of like, I can empower you or you can take initiative. And I am biased toward taking initiative a hundred percent of the time. <laughs> so like, I, I don't want it, you know, in humanity, in an organization, I don't want employees who are sit there, who are sitting there and, you know, twiddling their thumbs until I come along and say, I'm great with my little magic wand right. and saying, I'm granting you the ability to go do this. Now I want employees who are coming to me and saying, Jill, I had this great idea. What if I, you know, X, Y, Z. And I'm like, super. And they didn't, they didn't wait for me to bestow this power upon them. They took initiative. And so, I mean, you can definitely squelch initiative, like you can, you can shut that down and that's not good. Not advocating for that. (laughs) Um, But I think it's, it's kind of a matter of who holds the power 
And I love to work. I love careers. And so this concept of like, I want to see people at all levels who are like grabbing that initiative and running forward with it. And so, you know, empowerment just doesn't just doesn't jazz me up that way. <laughs> I love it. All right. That, I, I say that question for the end for all of you listening, because like I said, I was working, but I was just nodding my head and smiling because there's questions in there for future guests. And she'll just, she'll just rock that. I love her. Um, anyways, before <laughs> I, the I, jet lag talking, right, yeah, <laughs> yeah, a little bit tired, but before we move on to the rapid fire questions, is there anything else that you were hoping we were going to talk about today that I, I didn't bring up that you'd, you'd like to talk about? Oh, goodness, no. <laughs> I usually see the questions in advance and really kind of formulate things through it. And this is really the fun and off the cuff uh, uh, podcast here. So I came in with no expectations and therefore I cannot be disappointed. So <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> All right. So we're still going to have some fun with the rapid fire questions, even though Jill's been on the show a bunch, because it wouldn't be the See You Inside experience without them. First question and your answers as always, don't have to be rapid. Me asking the questions are, have you decided on your word for 2020-24? Yes, it's going to be wholehearted. Beautiful. <laughs> when was the last time you were amazed? I know I've asked you this before, but either personally or professionally. Oh, well, it changes every time though, right? Uh, It'd right. be sad if I had the same answer uh, the last time I was I amazed was more than two years ago. Uh, uh, no, So we just got back from Japan, hence the, the jet lag. <laughs> and it was... I mean, the whole experience was amazing. You know, I'm, I'm such a mom on this one, but, you know, we took, for the guests listening, Randy knows this full well, but we took, we took Crosby, our 12 year old, with us on this venture. And I'm amazed by, you know, how different it is traveling with him today than it was, you know, five years ago when we spent a summer in Spain together. And I loved traveling with him then too. Like it was fun to see him experience that world through his eyes and something different. But to have him, you know, as this as this preteen tween wandering <laughs> Japan and like actually being cool to hang out with, like, you know, that's amazing. And and specifically, I guess the moment that maybe is the the memory to carry with is that, you know, we're doing that we're walking through this bamboo grove, which like our 12 year old boys who spend most of their time on Fortnite gonna think that the nature walk through the bamboo is intriguing and kept on lagging behind. And, and sometimes that's a matter of his pace. But in this <laughs> case, it wasn't it was a matter of him being like, super intrigued by like the photos he could take. And so you know, and I think probably every parent does it and it's maybe like almost cliche, but like being amazed by our children's growth and mature maturity and like watching them turn into like pretty cool humans. That's, <laughs> that's amazing. That was pretty cool. Is there anything you're working on about yourself in 2024? What's taken up that personal growth space? Well, this is a conveniently timed question because I spent some time on this this morning. So two things that I'm hoping to be able to look back on 2024 and say, I did a good job with that. Three things. So the third thing is that I'm going to be very intentional about being active. We have some fun plans coming up during the year that being you know at our best health is going to be good for that. But, you know, winter in New England, it's easy to sort of lose sight of that. And so we're really starting the year with intentional focus on getting in my active minutes and getting outside and enjoying that. Is, uh, a is week critical. in the Dolomites. Yeah. We, we, we got to be ready. So that's kind of the, oh, yeah, I got to do that third one. 
The second one is I've been, you know, I'm on a, I've been working Duolingo for Spanish for a number of years now. I'm feeling like I'm I'm starting to get some concepts down to a point where, you know, I'm I'm feeling sort of conversationally adept. I'd like at the end of 2024 to be able to look back and be like, oh look, I can I can carry on conversations in in Spanish when we go to other countries. So uh that you, you got me cold medicine in a Spanish-speaking <laughs> country, so I'm already proud of that. There's a difference between charades and fluency, <laughs> and I'll just leave it at that. And then the the final one, kind of the, the biggest one, is that, you know, I looked back on 2023, and there was so much that was, was good that I felt like really rocked in 2023. But the one thing I would say was, ooh, that wasn't, that wasn't me, and that didn't feel right was that I did not write as much in 2023. I didn't write, You're I didn't my favorite write for writer. a few inside. I didn't write for myself. I just didn't write as much. And so I'm going to be more intentional about my writing in 2024. And that's probably... I just sort of did those in reverse order, kind of Miss America style on the third runner-up. But the... So the the top thing um, is writing and the and the subordinate thing is, is Spanish. And then, and then table stakes as being active. You know, there, there's a prompt inside our kitchen cupboard <laughs> that I put there years ago about you writing. So, uh, <laughs> what's something most people don't know about you or might surprise them? I'm hilarious. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I just had to ask that because somebody asked you that on a different podcast. I knew your answer. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't say it, right? So, I regretted, I regretted that I didn't say that. <laughs> I'm very funny, but I think that people are sometimes surprised by how hilarious I indeed am. Mm, you, do. <laughs> you do often crack yourself up, which <laughs> continues to crack me up. So I, I always ask, what's the piece of advice, the best piece of advice somebody's given you and who gave that to you? I'm going to flip that around, though. What's the best piece of advice you give others? Jeez. We're old enough now. People ask us for advice. I give so much advice. <laughs> Some of it, I hope, is good. You know what? I, I'll say this. So I'm not sure if we're public with the announcement yet or not, but it's been out in a couple of places. So I won't I won't drop the person's name, but you can get him on a podcast later and he'll uh, he'll do a callback for it. But we recently placed the new president at the company Synergent. And I was talking to the person who was successful in securing the offer. And he said to me, that, you know, as we were talking, and one of the things that I think is really important, and I will work with every candidate who's in front of a board to do this, is to tell them what they need to know to present their best selves in front of a board. And so I may have three different candidates that I'm presenting to the same board, and I'll give each of them different advice that's customized and tailored for them. And this particular candidate told me after he was successful in in securing the offer that, you know, there were specific pieces of advice that that I gave him and and he went to to another mentor during that process and she said to them whatever your recruiter tells you make sure you actually do that and so <laughs> um and the reason I say that is because I can't tell you how many times so thrilled in this case that that, that particular candidate did and and did put his best self forward in that but I can't tell you how many times there's really simple advice that we give as recruiters like Hey, maybe change the salutation from your cover letter from Dear Sirs in 2024 <laughs> to, to something a little more inclusive. And they say, No, thank you. This has always worked. And then they don't get the next job. And it's like, Why? Like, I'm, 
I'm here for you. Like I'm here, I'm here for that. So what I would say is that, I, that having gone into this role where I'm sometimes working with candidates and recruiters, I give a lot of advice. <laughs> Frankly, I think it's all really good it's advice. <laughs> Good stuff. And I would say the evidence that suggests it is that that oftentimes when candidates take that advice, they actually are in fact successful. So, <laughs> so listen to your recruiter would be the best advice that should be given, probably. There you go. Google Maps, Apple Maps, or a paper map? Now you're just making fun of me. Yeah, a little bit. It's a paper map, y'all. It's a paper map. <laughs> your Wi-Fi goes down, that paper map still works. <laughs> so I'm tweaking a question that we were having dinner with NCUA Chairman Harper when he said this should be on the podcast. And I've asked you it before. So I'm tweaking it because I've already asked you it. Who is the last actor that someone said you looked like? Oh, well, so when we were in Japan, <laughs> first of all, she told me I looked like Kate Blanchett. Yep, and then she was yep. like, you know, the one from Titanic. Yep. And I was like, I don't think that's Kate Blanchett. I think it's Kate Winslet in yeah, Titanic. Yep. But I actually don't know my Kates. And so that's that was I the was one. Like, yeah. <laughs> so I guess that's you. Yeah. <laughs> that was amazing. That was our our, our tour guide walking around Kyoto that did that. So it made me laugh. Anyways, what are you currently reading? Everybody loves your book picks every time you're on the show. Is, is there something that you think? think people should be checking out right now or that's got your interest? Yep. Currently reading Adam Grant's Hidden Potential. Yeah, Love it. Think everyone it. should read it. Yep. Yeah. What does the word success mean to you? Hmm. Fulfillment. So, and, and that comes in so many different ways, right? Yep. So Absolutely. Last question. Do you have any final thoughts you want to share with our listeners or an ask? I'm so glad I made it to the end. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I do not like going in cold, Uh, y'all. So final thoughts or an ask. Same thing. Like, be optimistic. Like, let's believe in what we have here in this system. Let's believe in in what we can accomplish. Um, You know, we've got the best financial services model and we have the ability to change people's lives. So we know that the statistics say right now that financial health of, of individuals, consumers in the U.S. Is, is not at its best right now. We can do something about that. But we can't do it if we're like all ho-hum, Eeyore, and doldrums about it. We can only do it if we are like... We are, you know, positive, optimistic. We believe in it. We can manifest that reality of really using credit unions to, to solve global poverty. Well, that right there is the perfect way to wrap up the show. Thank you so much for being here again with me and answering all my questions that you didn't know were coming. Um, (laughs) I appreciate it so much. If people have additional questions of you, what's the best way for them to find you? LinkedIn, email, what's your poison? Uh, Email. If they message me on LinkedIn, I'll just tell them to email me. So email. (laughs) We will link to that as well. And everything else we talked about in the show notes today. Thank you so much for being here, my love. Until the next time. Before we go, check out our sponsor, Humanity, Jill's company, and see what Jill and her team have going on in the show notes or at humanity.com. Also, subscribe to the See You Insight experience on your favorite podcast player. We are on them all. I would appreciate that. And if you're looking for a book mention on the show like Adam Grant's or any of our past guests, a quick Google of the CU Insight Experience podcast book list, a lot of words, and your next read is on its way from Amazon. Last but certainly not least, I want to thank all of you for listening. Y'all rock. I appreciate each and every one of you so much. Be well, friends, and make this a good year.